This week's terrific episode of Election Profit Makers is sponsored by Bloom Farms Wellness. Bloom Farms Wellness makes CBD products to help you relax and improve the quality of your life. Products include balms, tinctures, vapes. Let's talk about tinctures for a moment. They sent me something called the Dream Tincture. Put two drops under my tongue for a good night's sleep. It works. They also sent me a little vape pen for relaxation. All their stuff is grown and produced in the USA. No solvents, no additives, nice packaging, I must say. They also have, this is very nice, a give back program. For every product sold by Bloom Farms, they donate one healthy meal to a family in need. Since 2015, they have donated 3 million meals. Get in on the action, improve the quality of your life, do a good thing. Go to this website, bloomfarmswellness.com slash EPM for 15% off your order. That's bloomfarmswellness.com slash EPM. Welcome to Election Profit Makers, your home for politics and sports talk 24 hours a day, broadcasting all across the continent of the USA from the golden cinematex of Hollywood to the tobacco fields of North Carolina. I am Kid Midas, the original wave rider, often imitated, never duplicated, highly educated Oberlin College class of 19... I love it when people do that. <laughs> and I'm joined on the line by John Kimball, the one and only Long John Silver, the fishing hey, boat David. captain. I'm not done introducing you, All buddy. Right. Yeah, the helicopter yeah. pilot, the football fiend, the Piedmont prognosticator. John... Welcome aboard. David, hey, how you doing? Yep, how's everybody doing? Firing on all cylinders. Here comes John Kimball. Bazooka Joe, the one and only, the microphone decimator. Welcome to Long John's End Zone. It's a post-UNC post football recap from EPM's one and only John Kimball. John, UNC played this weekend. How'd it go? Uh, not great. No, it didn't, it didn't go great at all. Um... I really enjoyed last week beating Virginia, and this week, something amazing happened in the ACC. Clemson, the team that has dominated the ACC for six seasons in a row. Now, you could have a great year, but when you get to the ACC championship, you're always going to get your butt kicked by Clemson. Clemson got beat by UNC rivals, NC State, Wolfpack, and when that happened, I realized oh, we, we have a chance. The Tar Heels have a chance to win the ACC championship. And that might not be a big deal to some people, but Carolina hasn't won an ACC championship since 1980 in football. So I was thinking, we have this great chance. Uh, we just need to go down and take care of business in, in, in Georgia at uh, Georgia Tech, a place that I mentioned last week is a place that we typically play horribly. And we were favored by 14 points and we lost by 23. <laughs> We just got our butts kicked. We were awful. It was, it was horrific. But that's Carolina football. Perfect. Let's move on to the next segment. That was wonderful. All right. It had everything. You know, it was... Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, go on. It started out okay. Mm. But mm. It, it, it just didn't end. It didn't end well. Mm. So all the other schools on Tobacco Road won this week, which, uh, yeah, it was depressing to see Wake and, and, and State and Duke all win. Um, and we were, we were supposed to be the best of all of them. And then we lost. 
I don't know, you know, contacted election profit makers if you have any thoughts about it. I'd be glad to talk to anyone. Wow, John. While the Biden administration holds refugees from Haiti in cages, and while the Eastman memo proves that there was an actual point-by-point plan to overturn the results of the last presidential election, and while Biden's entire domestic agenda risks going, going up in flames, and while COVID continues to ravage the country, all you care about is UNC football, is sports. Wake up. Wake up, John. I'm disgusted. How dare you? I'll own it. I'll own it. I went deep. After we lost, I went actually went onto the InsideCarolina.com message boards. That's not a place you want to be. What was the scene on the message boards? It was boards? carnage. It was uh, Amer- Carolina carnage is what it was. And uh, it was just all like, our coaching staff needs to be fired. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it was just like, Sam Howell held the ball too long and we can never win in Atlanta and we're cursed. You went into like QAnon mode. I mean, no lies detected, all true. Every, it was, yeah, I didn't post. I just, I just read it all. How'd you feel after reading it all? I don't know. I didn't feel so alone. That's a huge part of the modern condition. Correcting for feelings of isolation. Yeah. The important thing is to not feel alone, to find the other people who think they've put 5G chips in the vaccines. Find your tribe. I did. I found them. Close the windows, bolt the doors, spend time online with your tribe. Yeah. The coaching staff needs to be fired. It's very good for your health. Yeah. I found my connection. Yeah. All right. I don't want to talk about it anymore. John, I just want to say I'm sorry that UNC lost the football game at Georgia Tech down in Atlanta. And I wish UNC many victories in the days and weeks to come. I hope UNC will win the ACC championship for the first time since 1980. That would be exciting. Yeah, that's not going to happen now. Larry Fedora, you asked where he was. That was a coach uh, before Mac Brown came back to UNC. The wonderfully named Larry Fedora was the former UNC football coach. And before we started recording, I asked John, what happened to old Larry Fedora? Where does he hang his hat these days? Uh, And John is looking it up. Larry Fedora, of course, I don't know if you guys uh, follow UNC football. UNC's former football coach is named Larry Fedora. He doesn't work there anymore. I wonder where he hangs his hat these days. Uh, Fedora means hat. Uh, He was the, uh, most recently, was the offensive coordinator uh, of quarterbacks or and quarterbacks coach at Baylor University. But Baylor released Fedora from his offensive coaching duties on December 22nd, 2020. So he's he's unemployed. You guys uh, you guys follow sports at Baylor University. Well, you'll know that the offensive coordinator for quarterbacks at Baylor, uh, it used to be Larry Fedora, the former UNC uh, head football coach. Unfortunately, Baylor University had to bail on Larry Fedora. Hmm. Let's get to this Bill Share interview. We were confused about what's happening this week. We know it's a big week, but we've heard so many terms and budget and reconciliation and blah, 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 and this and that. We decided to have our friend Bill Share come on and explain it to us. Bill, thank you for coming on our podcast, Election Profit Makers. It is always a pleasure. Here's my understanding of what has to happen this week. Senate reconciliation, House reconciliation, Senate infrastructure biff, House infrastructure biff. Senate voting rights, House voting rights, Senate climate change, House climate change, human infrastructure in the Senate, human infrastructure in the House, 
Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin have to polish their centrist bona fides and tank Biden's entire agenda, ensuring a second Trump term. Have I missed anything? Is that all accurate? <laughs> uh, I don't think all that has to happen this week. And may I say, it's, it should be Bib and not Biff. But they call it Biff, and I like Biff more. Biff was bipartisan infrastructure framework. It's no longer a framework, it's a bill. All right. BIF is obsolete. Bib, I, I use BIB for the infrastructure bill and BBB for Build Back Better, which is otherwise known as the reconciliation bill or human infrastructure. I, I feel like Democrats are kind of giving up on saying human infrastructure, quite frankly. Well, it's not that it, it is a little kind of a creepy phrase to me, I have to say. <laughs> so my first question is the reconciliation is the same thing as Build Back Better, Correct. which is the same thing as human infrastructure, which is just the budget. Right? Well, no, no, I wouldn't call it the budget. Um, <laughs> now, there was a budget resolution. You have to pass a budget resolution as a precursor to doing budget reconciliation, which is a way to avoid the filibuster. And uh, they did that. Uh, so that, so the, the budget is passed, but the budget's not a law. The budget just gives guidelines for spending and can also give reconciliation instructions so the different committees can write pieces of a bill that cannot be filibustered. And that budget is the beautiful $3.5 trillion over 10 years that everyone is freaking out about, right? Well, the resolution was $3.5 trillion. It does not guarantee that the reconciliation bill will be $3.5 trillion. They can't go over that, but they can go under it. But to be clear, that $3.5 trillion rec reconciliation was exciting, when it came out. There's a lot of stuff in this thing. This is like a real piece of progressive legislation, right? In my opinion, this is the biggest single piece of legislation ever attempted in American history. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, the New Deal wasn't one bill. Right, it was I lots see. of different bills. The Great Society was different bills. This is almost everything in one bill. Uh, this is Universal pre-K, this is free community college, this is elder care, this is climate, um, and this is tax reform, which is which which is half to raise the money for these other big ticket items, but also just on the principle that the wealthy should pay more and corporations should pay more and we should have these loopholes. But that's a whole bill in and of itself. And it's all happening at the same time, which is a lot of moving parts, why it's so hard to follow what's actually being debated because so many things are being debated at once. So it's not that John and I are dumb. It's just that this is really complicated and even the smartest people in the world can't keep up with it. Say that. I, I think that's accurate. Uh, and, and I think it's hard for the average voter to know what this is about because there's so many things at once. And the news of what's happening is not the substance. It's all the intra-party conflict. So while the, while the party... Well, the Democrats are fighting amongst themselves. They can't have a coordinated message about what the bill actually is, because and, and that bill isn't even written yet. So it's a very hard thing to do. So where are we at as of 10.13 a.m. Hollywood time on Monday? So uh, over the weekend, Speaker Pelosi said, uh, we're going to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill. That's the hard traditional infrastructure bill. It's not the whole 3.5 trillion kitty caboodle. That's about... One trillion dollars, right? It's one point two trillion in spending, but it's only five hundred 
billion plus in new spending. Right. Uh, so it depends how you want to slice that. But she also says we're going. There's a bill you have to pass just to keep the government open. Oh, the- I forgot to add that to my <laughs> list of, of things to keep track of. We have the debt limit and the government shutdown. So there's a whole question about keeping the government open, and that's just passing the funding bills for you know this coming fiscal year uh, and doing it all in one fell swoop in a, in a so-called continuing resolution, which is over, some, I think it's through December. Uh, forgive me if I'm getting that wrong, but it's, it's, I think it's a temporary stopgap, not not for the full year. Uh, and Pelosi saying we're going to do the reconciliation bill also this week. Uh, and and also raising the debt limit is, is tucked into the keep the government open bill. Uh, now, so that's a, that's a whole lot of stuff. So let, let's recall that last month, there was a dispute between a band of rogue moderates that withheld their votes on the budget resolution temporarily because they wanted the hard infrastructure bill passed first before moving on to reconciliation. And you got, you got progressives who are saying, there's no way, no how, we're passing the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which we don't even like all that much, unless the Senate passes reconciliation first because then we know they're not gonna chop it down to something that is uh, a sliver of what we want or, or even kill it all together. And Pelosi, in the summer, sounded like she was with the progressives. But then they cut this deal in August to say, okay, we're gonna have a fixed date for the bipartisan infrastructure bill to consider it on the 27th, which is today. Um, and there was nothing in the procedural motion that had a fixed date for reconciliation. But Pelosi verbally said, oh, we're going to get, we're going to move this on two tracks. It's all going to get done around the same time. Uh, but that doesn't guarantee what the Senate's going to do. Now, Pelosi has been saying, well, we're going to, what we pass in the House will be pre-conference with the Senate. We're not going to pass any of the Senate that doesn't want to pass. So this will be lickety split. Uh, but here we are today there is no agreement with the Senate over what's in that bill. And as I said, there is a ton of moving parts in it. It's not just one little deal that you got to cut. There's a whole bunch of little deals you got to cut. Uh, but Pelosi's pushing on anyway uh, and saying, uh, we're going to get this all done by Thursday, the 30th. So, What do you mean by all done? We're going to get this all done. We're going to be ready to vote on it? That she's going to actually vote on the bipartisan hard infrastructure bill, vote on the House version of Build Back Better slash reconciliation, as well as pass the bill to keep the government open and, and raise the debt limit. So we don't default on the debt and have a global economic meltdown. This is all uh, happening on Thursday. Maybe she said it was on Thursday, um, but certainly by Thursday. Now, there are some people who thought, oh, well, the moderates didn't get their vote on the 27th, they got pushed back. So that, that shows that they didn't get what they wanted. Remember, what progressives wanted was the Senate to pass reconciliation before they did the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And that's not in the offing. That's not going to happen by the 30th. Uh, and the head of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, uh, who keeps saying we have more than half of our 95-member caucus ready to vote no on infrastructure uh, until Senate passes their thing, she gave a little bit of wiggle room over the weekend uh, forgive me not having the quoted by my fingertips, but it, it just seemed to suggest if there was an agreement with the Senate, they would be okay moving forward. Uh, but as it stands, that, that agreement does, doesn't exist. Uh, but that 
right now is what's fuzzy about what's going to happen. Because on one hand, you might say, hey, progressives, they say they got more than half their caucus. That's way more than they need to block the bill. I mean, I mean, in theory, Republicans could offset those losses, but there's only seven Republicans on record saying they'll vote for the infrastructure bill. So if you just take what's been said publicly... They can't make up the difference. Republicans aren't enough to make up the difference. Maybe those numbers shift. Maybe because there's some kind of agreement... Uh, with the Senate, however flimsy it is, that makes the progressive numbers drop. Maybe Joe Biden starts get on the phone saying, look, man, I've had the worst two months. I'm just getting hammered every single day. I need to get something, man, or else we're all cooked in 2022. Now, do you think that uh, Biden's already on the phone? Why hasn't he been more public? It, it feels like he's sort of disappeared the last few weeks. All the public statements, all the Biden language from the White House seems designed to not pick a side between the progressives and the moderates. He doesn't want to be seen as in a camp. He's trying to, he's trying to, trying to keep them unified. Uh, but at some point, and you're getting close to crunch time here, you got to lean a little bit one way or the other or else you don't get the votes. Uh, you got to push on somebody. Uh, and now, so some people would say, look, progressives have the, have the whip hand here. Then some of the same people have said in the past, well, don't don't count out Pelosi. You know, Pelosi's not gonna bring a vote to the, a bill to the floor if doesn't have the votes. And she said they're all gonna pass, so she must mean it. Uh, and you know, Pelosi's got a lot of track record. Pelosi's got more track record than Jayapal does, quite frankly. You know, the Congressional Progressive Caucus has never played this kind of hardball. And AOC, before she even was elected, had been urging the Progressive Caucus to play this kind of hardball, even suggested early on that maybe they should have a separate caucus to, to play that kind of hardball, to show we are willing to walk away. We're willing to take our marbles and go home and kill things, and that way they have to listen to us. So this is the first big test. Can progressives do that and play that kind of game? Uh, but I, what I, and I, I can't predict what's going to happen here. Uh, but the moderates still have their cards. So the moderates can kill anything too. So when the progressives said and have said, we're prepared to kill infrastructure, Kirsten Sinema can come out and say, by myself, I can kill reconciliation completely, and I will. And now you have this sort of mutually assured destruction dynamic going on, which make a lot of Democratic leaders freak out. But this is what I don't understand. I don't understand what someone like Cinema or Manchin would want in the way of compromise, because it seems to me that their centrism or their moderation or Manchin saying, let's slow down, there's no rust, let's do this in 2055. Like, it's just a pose. There's nothing substantive that... That they that they want. It just feels like it's all just branding. So how do you negotiate with someone whose brand is just I want this to I want to gum up the works in the name of bipartisanship or centrism or whatever? Well, I mean, in Manchin's case, you read what he says publicly, and it's a lot of word salad. It, it's it's totally incoherent, and you really can't make heads or tails of what he really wants. And cinema barely talks at all. You have no idea what's there. Uh, so what are the progressives supposed to do in the way of horse trading? They're horse trading with someone who doesn't ride horses. You know, I've written a lot of stuff about this, uh, and I've always generally been writing, look, moderates have leverage. I think moderates have considerable leverage, and you can't get there without them, and you have to find a way to bargain with them. Uh, you know, and when cinemas, when the report came out that cinema was ready to tank reconciliation, AOC, actually quote tweeting a tweet of mine, not that it means anything as far as my brilliance is concerned. I was just quoting cinema, an article about cinema. But AOC had a thread off of that basically you know, tearing into cinema uh, and, you know, calling her, you know, a tool of the corporations and, and so on and so forth. And I'm not, not quoting verbatim. Uh, 
And the way I read that was, I don't see how you, AOC and progressives, get her vote by doing that. I agree it's difficult. I agree it's hard to know what she really wants based on public record. You got to have some private conversations with them to find out some more to, and try to get to the common ground. Because if there's no common ground, there's no bill at all. But don't you think they've already had those conversations? I mean, this is the that AOC dinging cinema feels no different than the Arizona uh, state Democrats saying they're going to give her a vote of no confidence if she doesn't support filibuster reform. Filibuster is a whole other thing I forgot to mention. The fucking filibuster. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen a- this week either. Okay. Um, I-, I have no idea what progressive conversations have been had with Manchin and Sinema. I just have no idea. I thought it was weird last week that when they all went to the White House. The moderates went separate from the progressive. Not a great sign. This was like the Camp David Accords where like, I mean, literally Jimmy Carter had had espionage. Uh, they, you know, they, they had spied on the Egyptians and the Israelis and did like psychological profiles of the leaders. And they said, look, you can't get these two guys in the same room because they're just going to, you know, just talk past each other. You got to talk, you got to keep them apart. Uh, and it worked. But you would think that you wouldn't have to do that with people in one's own party. <laughs> a week before these big votes. But that's where we seem to be, where there's not a lot of cross-communication between these folks. So what does that mean for what's going to happen this week? And more simply, what is going to happen this week? Is Biden's entire agenda about to collapse by Friday and we're done and Trump will be reelected because Biden couldn't get anything done? I'm not going to get over my skis. I'm not going to give you a Get over your skis. Get over your skis. I'm just not going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do right. my best okay. to help. Okay. I'm going to do my best to help other people make their decisions. Okay, fair enough. But I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. And there's one other element here that I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, we talk about the government might shut down on, on the 30th. There's another, there's another cliff, which is the highway cliff. The highway trust fund expires on the same day as all this other government spending, which is the 30th. And the, and the extension of that's in the infrastructure bill. So if that's not passed by the 30th, then the highway trust fund can't can't pay out. It doesn't automatically make all infrastructure projects stop on a dime. Uh, but oh, if, if the longer that that uh, stays dormant, you know, municipal projects might start get gummed up, contractors can't get paid. And if you're, the, if you're the party who's trying to be the infrastructure party, you're the Build Back Better party, and now you're throwing all these projects up into a lot of uncertainty, that's not a great look. Uh, so Pelosi has said the reason why this date is, is what it is is in part because of that highway trust fund deadline. So that's in the mix too. So if you believe that these deadlines matter to Pelosi and Biden, that Biden's poll numbers are terrible and he wants something to get out of the rut, and he and he's going to lean in and twist those arms. You know, look, my presence on the line here. I just need you on this one, please. Right. Uh, right. If you think that is what's going to carry the day, then you should you should believe that will get done by the thirtieth. If you believe that, um, look, I mean, I, I think Jayapal's numbers are inflated. You know, Jayapal says I got more than half. I think even say they said maybe as much as sixty. That the numbers are growing, but on record, you don't have those numbers. The people who have said on record, I am going to vote no, is much smaller than that. Now, you got two unofficial whip counts going at the American Prospect. They say 21. The Hill says 15. You read the statements of those whip counts. Some of those statements got some wiggle room there. So I don't think those are like super hard numbers. And again, you're talking the whip count for progressives who say they will vote against passing the infrastructure bill if the Senate has not passed their reconciliation bill. Correct. Which would guarantee, in the progressives' mind, 
that moderates can't get their infrastructure bill and then turn their backs and refuse to pass the reconciliation bill as currently drafted, exactly correct? Exactly correct. Uh, so I don't think we have like super good hard numbers to know exactly how many progressives are going to vote no, but we only have seven Republicans who say they're going to vote yes. Uh, so uh, there's uncertainty on both directions of what the actual numbers are. And just on the plain face of it, you would say, look, it seems like progressive have have more numbers here. And I can't trust Republicans actually cross the aisle and do something good for Democrats. Uh, now, I think Republicans have actual reason to cross the aisle because because if they if they move the goalposts, I mean, this is a bipartisan bill. This is by, this was 19 people in the Senate. Mitch McConnell was for it. Now you're going to move the goalposts because you say things are linked. This is to link to reconciliation. The way to de-link it is to vote for the bill this week. Then it is thereby de-linked from reconciliation because the Senate hasn't passed it yet. So if they're not going to be on the level, that could push the moderates and progressives together. The moderates might say, geez, you got, I can't trust you guys. All like, oh, I can't have the whole Biden agenda tank. So forget you guys. I'm just going to go with the progressives and do the best I can there. Um, so Republicans can't can't confidently know that they could throttle reconciliation or cut it down by voting no here. The best they can do is to vote yes and give the moderates more leverage in, in the process. But that might be too rational analysis for these Republicans to actually do. Uh, that's why it's so hard to make guesses because you, you could rationally game it out, but people don't act necessarily act rationally because they're so bound up in their polarization. They're so bound up in what Trump's going to say, uh, all that kind of stuff. But that's what you have to weigh in trying to determine what's going to happen next. Okay, so if there was a predicted market that said, will Biden's budget pass by the end of this week, what would be a fair price to buy yes at? When, when, when you say budget, you mean the big, I, the, the, the I, big I Build mean Back the, Better bill. The, the BBB, yeah. Will pa pass the House or pass the Senate? Oh. I mean, it's not going to pass the Senate. Like, that's not going to okay. happen. Pass um, the House then. Is it, is it better than 50-50 that it'll pass? You know, I, I am inclined to go with Pelosi's track record and think she wouldn't be taking things this far if she didn't think she could actually pull it off. So I would lean that way, but I certainly couldn't say that with absolute certainty. And same with the infrastructure bill? Well, yeah, because I think the two are hand in hand. I know we're out of, almost out of time. Next market I want to ask you about. Will the Senate pass a bill via reconciliation by November 1st? Yes, trading at 67 cents. Is that a good price? Assuming there is a framework agreed upon this week, I would think you could make it by November 1. What makes me pause there is there's really no November 1 deadline that forces action. Right, that's a, that's an arbitrary predicted, predicted right. always does that. They just need to pick a date for the, for the market to resolve, so they've picked November 1st. Like in the, with the bipartisan infrastructure, infrastructure bill, there is this highway trust fund deadline. And I should right. say here, some people think, that, hey, you could pluck that out and drop it into the government operations bill and do a, and do a stop gap there, and they don't need to make that a, a cliff for infrastructure. But as it stands, that's what Pelosi has done. She's not shipped ship that out. Uh, there's nothing like that in the Build Back Better bill, except for the expanded child tax credit and the augmented Affordable Care Act subsidies that were in the rescue plan passed earlier in the year. Those are only good for one year. They expire at the end of the year, December 31st. So these monthly checks that parents have been getting uh, because of that bill, they end 
at in December if there's no extension. That to me is a hard deadline. So if you told me this is going to pass by December 31, I'd say absolutely. That'd be a total embarrassment if they can't do it by then. November 1 is not, there's nothing hard about that date that's going to force action. Right. Maybe it's overpriced, John. Maybe I'm not going to buy. Maybe I'll, I'm going to buy no. Oh, it's so depressing. I'm going to psychologically hedge and buy 100 shares no. They're not going to pass the reconciliation bill in the Senate by November 1st. Then at least if Biden's entire presidency collapses and the, and the hope of a progressive legislative victory doesn't happen, at least I will have made $6. Okay. Overall, Bill, before, before you leave, what is your mood about all this stuff? Cautious optimism? Gnashing despair, a, a blithe centrist bodhisattva uh, middle path. Like, where are you at emotionally with all this stuff? I, what I'm, do you I, think about I'm this? I'm generally optimistic. I, I, it's, a, it's a too big to fail proposition. I mean, it doesn't serve either the progressives or the moderates to tank the whole thing. They can't go into the midterms having done bupkis. Uh, so there, there is mutual shared interest, but there's a lot of leverage games they want to play still. And you know some some adult supervision has to come in so the, the leverage game stop and they actually come to some kind of an agreement. I mean I don't, I don't think it's going to be three point five trillion. I think it's going to be less than that. Uh, but I think they can do something of of great substance that people can go back and say, look, we did X, Y, and Z. Is my contempt for Mansion and Cinema misplaced? Are they not the problem here? I mean, it depends on what your end goal is. Uh, if you think that- I just need people to hate. I need people to dump <laughs> all my anxiety onto. And, th and those two have just been great. I think at the end of the day, they're going to vote yes on something. Now, Manchin is particularly difficult on climate. Well, right, uh, yeah. And, you know, and if, if you believe, and, and as I do believe, even though I'm a, you know, douchebag moderate, uh, I do believe climate is the biggest existential crisis facing the planet. And we need to do as big, bold action as is humanly possible. The way I kind of part ways from my progressive friends is, I don't want to do that on a narrow partisan basis and watch it get repealed in three years because that, that doesn't do us any good. You need to get some bipartisan buy-in if that policy is going to stick. And that, I, that's why I would like to see more conversations with Joe Manchin because if Joe Manchin blesses a climate strategy, I think he can get people to come along with it out beyond the Democratic Party. Um, so I, I wish there was more conversation and dialogue happening there. But he is a difficult uh, person who is not easy to pressure because he reps a deeply pro-Trump, pro-coal state. And there's just no getting around that fact. And what about cinema? I find her fascinating. I mean, the whole, uh, she's not, she's hard to peg. What motivates her is complicated. I don't believe it's all pharma. I know there's a narrative like she's bought and paid by pharma. Right. And I'm, I'm sure pharma's throwing money at her. I don't dispute that. But I just feel like you can, you can get money from all sorts of places. You don't need to get it from pharma. Um, I think she has a belief that the way to win in Arizona is to be a, a John McCain-esque maverick, that there's a constituency in the middle of Arizona that likes that. And she doesn't seem to be as worried about losing a primary as progressive thinks that she should be. I mean, she's, she's clearly made her decision how she wants to position herself. And I don't think you're going to browbeat her and humiliate her otherwise. I think you have to work with the cards you're dealt with. Even though her numbers are really bad. Yeah, her numbers are tanking. You think she's going to be challenged in the primary? She'll get primary. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that challenge is going to win. Right. I mean, her numbers are kind of soft. But they're, not, they're not disastrous. Right. S say it one more time, Bill. Say your amazing statement about the Build Back Better legislation. Oh, it's the single biggest piece of legislation that's ever been attempted in American history. <laughs> All right, that's good. That's fun stuff for me. All right, All right. I'm, I'm, I'm running late for my other... Yeah, other thank you, Bill. Go. Goodbye. Thanks, we'll talk Bill. to you later. Thanks, Thank you. Bye.
We got a lot of uh, letters from listeners this week about the the baseball uh, foul lines and whether they— If you extended the foul lines from all Major League Baseball parks indefinitely, would all of the continental U.S. be in the fair zone? Yeah. So we're not gonna we're not gonna discuss it today. There's there's uh, there is a lot to discuss about that. So we're gonna do a Patreon, a special Patreon episode about that. About uh, infinite in com- baseball fields and 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 American geography. Yeah. Patreon.com/slash yeah. election profit makers. We should also thank everyone who joined us on the live election profit makers watch party. Uh, on Patreon that and uh, that we did on Discord and for the movie Green Room. Thank you. It was sc- it was scary fun. Thanks to everyone who watched along with us. We'll do more watch parties. I think it's fun. Yeah, that was gross but fun. John, let's turn to predictit.org. Who will win the 2024 Republican presidential nomination? I have so much money invested in Trump not winning the nomination. And I'm way underwater. Currently, it's Trump at 42 cents. Next up, Ron DeSantis at 21 cents. And then Nikki Haley and Mike Pence and a bunch of other freaks and weirdos all in the single digits. Trump had a rally in Georgia last week that apparently pissed off some Republicans because I heard that he endorsed Stacey Abrams for governor of Georgia. Can that be correct, John? Did that happen? No, that is correct, yeah. He said Stacey Abrams would, would be a much better governor than the current governor, than Brian uh, Republican Kemp? Brian Kemp. Yeah, and why? And why is that? Because of Stacey Abrams' tireless advocacy for voting rights. I think it's, but no, I just think oh. that it, uh, it's that Donald Trump hates Brian Kemp for not overturning the results of the Senate elections. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, Stacey, that'll be interesting to see what Stacey Abrams does with that endorsement if she decides to to consider a run for governor of Georgia again or senator, mm-hmm. maybe. She can say, "I have bipartisan appeal." I've been endorsed by every blue check on Twitter and also <laughs> former President Donald Trump thinks I'd make a pretty good <laughs> pretty good governor. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. That- Donald Trump also said that the results of this of the final uh, definitive results of this cockamamie audit in Arizona prove uh, that he actually did win Arizona. Um, so there's that. I didn't see that in the results. I mean, I think the results were that that it confirmed that he that he lost. In fact, he actually lost by more than he had lost by originally. Right. But but I think the conspiracy theorists sort of they 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 put it in a way that like well yes based on the ballots that we were provided he lost but based on maybe the real ballots which are somewhere mm, else mm-hmm. he won. Mm-hmm. So. It's weird. It's almost like you can't win with that mindset, no matter what you do. That's what's fun about conspiracy theories. Tell me something in your life where you have the same type of irrational uh, position, Uh, where every piece of evidence against your deeply held belief just further cements your connection to that deeply held belief. Well, the, the the reason that there's never going to be a, a building higher than six thousand feet above sea level oh, in Denver fu- is, okay, fu- yeah, okay, has, okay. has nothing to do okay. with like parking garages or right. anything like that. It's okay. obvious that it has to do with the altitude and oh, nothing. God. You got. I'm still doing my research on this. Actually. Oh, do your own research, yeah. guys. Do your own research. Yeah. Don't listen to the city planners who wrote in 
50,000 word emails explaining why it had to do with parking garages and zoning regulations. Well, no, I took that under, you know. Oh, yeah, I folded that into my research, uh, but I spend most of my time on altitudesickness.facebook.parentgroup.net. And no, Reddit, uh, Reddit, Reddit, yeah, r slash altitude sickness. You know what, John? We did get a letter about altitude. Hey, David and John, this is about the height of buildings, but not related to their. Oh, it's not. Fuck me! I'm so off my game right now. John, it's just still interesting, though. Okay, read it. Hey, David and John, this is about the height of buildings, but not related to their altitude. So hopefully, it won't spark a DM. I came across this study on how elevation affects people's perception of risk when making financial decisions. Bottom line, don't get on predict it when you're on a high floor in a tall building. Elevation in buildings can affect the decisions we make. And then there's a link to sciencedaily.com. And then he says, keep riding those waves. And uh, all the best to Starley, Jack, in Seattle. This is why I only trade on predict it when I'm at least a quarter mile under the surface of the earth the lowest possible level in a parking garage. Then I boot up my little laptop and start and start buying more shares that Trump will not be the 2024 nominee, even though I know he totally will. And if Biden doesn't pass this, these fucking bills this week, his entire administration is going to end in flames and then Trump will roll in in the next election and we'll be done having free and fair elections in the United States and everyone will just kind of get used to it. To oh, be able God. to take some, some risk in order to make money. So I don't think it's I don't think this study is saying that you should be really down underground or whatever. There's probably a sweet spot, you know, mm. if you're up like like five five or six stories. Okay, I'm gonna have to do my own research on that, John. You know what we need to do is we need an update. People are wondering what's happening with uh, the oven mitt. You remember the oven mitt, everyone? The oven mitt that David got from uh, Wuhan. He thought he was getting a drum machine. Turned out it was an oven mitt, not a drum machine. It was just an oven mitt. Apparently, it was a scam. I thought it was a mix-up. It's a scam. But then David had this great idea. He has a lot of them that he could raise money for Jasmine Beach Ferrara, who's running against um, Madison Cawthorn in the uh, North Carolina 11th Congressional District. He said, well, we could raise some money by auctioning off the oven mitt, because a lot of people would probably want it. That's right, John. Some people had told me, based on my complaining about how not many people uh, wanted my beat-up Jack Reacher novel, that maybe I should auction off my oven mitt and that this would be a hot item. Well, we got some donations to Jasmine Beach Ferrara, and more than one of them explicitly said, I do not want to be in the running for the oven mitt. I have no interest in your Wuhan oven mitt. However, John, do you see what I'm holding in my hands? Uh, Nickel? It's a quarter. This is 25 cents. And what do we do with quarters sometimes? Think of football, John. Think of the beginning of a football game. Oh, uh, they, they flip them, toss them. Exactly. We had a grand total of two donors to Jasmine Beach Ferrara who explicitly said they wanted to be in the running for the oven mitt. Nathaniel H. and Chris M. John, I'm going to flip this coin live on the air to determine which of these two donors receives the legendary oven mitt. So one of them is is Chris M. John, is Chris M heads or tails? Uh, Chris M is tails. Okay, here we go. Chris M, your tails. Nathaniel H, your heads. Whoops. A shitty uh, yeah, that was bad. That, that didn't even... Throw it of... and let it land on the floor. I don't do it that I way. Don't... There we go. What did you say Chris was? 
He was Tails, because Tails never fails. Nathaniel H., your heads. You're getting an oven mitt. Send me your address at contact at electionprofitmakers.com. I would like to know how a certain street in Chapel Hill and Carborough, this road runs you know, but along both, uh, is pronounced um, having an argument with a number of friends and family about how to pronounce this word. And the word is spelled E-S-T-E-S. And it is E-S-T-E-S drive. And there's also an E-S-T-E-S Hills Elementary School. And I pronounce it one way. David pronounces it the other way. I pronounce no, it. Well, don't, please don't speak for me. But one time on this podcast, you pronounced it don't Estes. Tell me, but I said Estes Drive, right? Mm-hmm. But for the school with that hill following it, I would say Estes Hill Elementary. So it's possible that you would say Estes Hills Elementary on Estes Drive. Yeah, it's a it's what we call a contextual it's a contextual pronunciation. Happens all the time in many languages, I'm sure. Right. Or you could just say Estes Hills Elementary on Estes Drive. I don't think anyone does that cuz Estes sounds too much like estrus. Which is too biological. Well, what does Estes sound like speaking of biological? Estes sounds like um uh t- testes. I think it's Estes, but uh, my parents, my sister, pretty much all my friends that I grew up with in Chapel Hill who haven't lived here for 25 years, so I think they may have lost a Oh, step. they haven't kept tabs on local pronunciations, and they've, yeah, lost, they, they've lost touch with their roots because they moved to Hollywood to make it in showbiz, and now they don't know yeah. how to pronounce certain drives and, and roads in Chapel Hill, Carborough area. Is that what you're saying, yeah. John? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Well, Jennifer and I think it's Estes. Um, and pretty much everyone else seems to think it's Estes. And most people, when they first move here, they say Estes, and they're all from like Ohio and Wisconsin, and I, and I think they're wrong. I think there's got to be somebody that you can find, somebody like Ron Stutz. You know, he was the morning show guy on WCHL in Chapel Hill uh, for 50 years. Mm-hmm. He would probably know how to say it, and because if he was saying it wrong, some old-time Chapel Hill person would probably correct him. I have to tell you something. Oh, this is awful. This is my Ron Stutz memory. So Ron Stutz hosted uh, the, as John mentioned, WCHLAM radio morning show. Yeah, waking and, up with Ron Stutz. Right, and they sold, They had T-shirts of him in bed, and it said, I woke up with Ron Stutz. It was a little saucy, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, it was the 70s. I asked my parents at some point, because WCHL was the hottest radio station in the Triangle. I asked my parents why we didn't listen to WCHL, and my parents said, well, we don't like the music, because it was... What was it, like soft rock and pop music? And my parents were strictly classical, nothing but classical. They had their radios locked on WUNC, okay? The NPR affiliate. Yeah, WCHL was the capitalist station. You know, they had ads and right. rock. But when, my, when I asked my parents why they didn't listen to it, it was the music. Ron Stutz came to speak at our elementary school one morning. It was like having a local celebrity in the class. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the, oh, God, I'm such an asshole. I have so much atoning to do. It drives me crazy sometimes. At the end of the, at the end of his presentation, I can't remember what it was about. Um, 
I went up to Mr. Stutz and I, I thought it was totally in my place to let him know that my parents didn't listen to his radio station because they didn't like the music he played. Just gave him that little free information. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure he was extremely gracious. Oh, he should, he should have slapped me so hard upside my head. He should have no, made Ron my Stutz hair grow. Never do that. Why did I Too do nice. that? Why do I do stuff like that? Because uh, kids do things excuse like Excuse me, Mr. Yeah. Stutz. I just, um, my parents don't listen to your radio station because they don't like the music. Now, of course, in my mind as a kid at this age, I probably assumed the music was just like hardcore pornography coupled with like extreme guitar feedback and just like, I don't know, they were playing Air right. Supply. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they were. They, right. they were playing yeah, Air totally. Supply. They were playing like the Lady in Red or something. Steely Dan. They, um, yeah. Well, that is, yeah. Kids shouldn't listen to Steely Dan. That's that's creepy man music. All right. Rose, darling, come to me. St. Mary's gone to bed. We're going to have some fun tonight. Tuning my guitar. The time signatures will make your dress collapse beneath my hands. Rose, darling, I'm in Steely Dan. John, you're one of the biggest foodies I've ever met. You have a passion, yeah. a passion for food. We're going to do yeah. a pasta face-off. Here we go. Round one. All right. Spaghetti yep. versus ziti. Spaghetti. Round two. Spaghetti versus rotini. Spaghetti. Round three, spaghetti versus macaroni. Mm, macaroni's pretty good. Macaroni. And the final round, macaroni versus penne pasta. Macaroni. Macaroni for the win. You heard it here first. John Kimball's favorite pasta is macaroni. John, let's hear your favorite poem about macaroni right now. Go. Mm, it's by T.S. Eliot. Okay. It's uh, macaroni... In the winter is a delicious dish. Oh, macaroni, how I love you. You are so yummy. What else is there to say? Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell with help, as always, from Houston Snyder and Kat Iosa. Thank you, guys. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers. You can send your election prediction questions and your complaints and your compliments to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. If you want to try predictit.org to bet on the infrastructure bill passing or whether Trump will be the nominee or any of the other things we've discussed today, you can go to www.predictit.org slash promo slash EPM20 to receive up to 20 American dollars in matching funds. And please rate and review us on uh, on um, podcast platforms and tell your family and friends and basically just have a wonderful time. Um out there in your in your human form and also in your spiritual form, I would say. I think it's not too early to start talking about stuff like that. John will continue to do his research on altitude sickness and building heights. I will continue to take Hollywood by storm uh, by watching as much Netflix as possible. Hollywood, you ain't seen nothing yet. I watched two complete TV series this week. Wow, oh wow, what an adventure I went on. My name is Kid Midas, the original Wave Rider. I'm sending you all my best wishes. Stay safe out there. And I would say also one final thing to John, which is goodbye. Goodbye, David. And goodbye, everyone out there in podcast land.